two days before the race, I was in my hotel room and I was flipping through a magazine, just passing time, not reading anything until one page caught my attention. And it was an ad for a workshop that was going to take place in Mexico, teaching about a way of life from the Indians in that area, the Huichol Indians. And the workshop was going to be led by uh, these two great shamans or medicine men. One was a 110-year-old Huichol Indian, Don Jose, and the other was his adopted grandson, Brant Secunda. And there was photos of both of them, and they just... It was those photos that stopped me as I looked at this, and they just had this look that was very peaceful but powerful, you know, and that's kind of the state you're trying to embody and embrace when you're in that real flow in racing. You just want to feel peace, but also feel like this strength that's surging through you. That's Mark Allen, and this is the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. What's going on? How are you? What is happening? My name is Rich Roll. Welcome to my podcast, the show where I have the great fortune, the great opportunity to go deep, to get intimate, and go long form with some of the world's most inspiring, positive, paradigm-breaking change makers across all categories of wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, entertainment, creativity, on and on and on. And today's guest certainly fits the bill. Uh, before I get into who that is and what we're doing here today, uh, a couple quick announcements really quick. Julie and I are going to be in Australia coming up in mid-March. On the 16th, March 16th, we're going to be in Sydney at Paddington Town Hall. And then the following evening on the 17th, we're going to be in Melbourne at the Malvern Town Hall. Both of these are going to be amazing, curated, beautiful evenings of uh, talking and connecting and cultivating community around all the ideas that uh, I sort of support and advocate through this podcast and the work that I do. So if you're in Australia and this interests you, go to livingtheplantpowerway.com or you can go to my website, richroll.com and click on appearances and all the information about ticketing and all of that you can find there. Okay. So did I tell you guys that I drove up to Santa Cruz last week and stopped by Mark Allen's house for a chat? Yeah, man, the grip, the grip, a living legend, this guy, arguably the most successful triathlete in the history of the sport and perhaps the most dominant Ironman triathlete of all time in the house this week with me for you guys. Uh, so who's Mark? If you're not a triathlete, if you're not into that, uh, Mark is a six-time Hawaii Ironman world champion. He is a 10-time undefeated champion of the Nice International Triathlon. And he's an athlete that ESPN in 2012 dubbed the greatest endurance athlete of all time. Uh, today, Mark is a sought-after motivational speaker. He's a coach. He's an author of a couple books, uh, Fit Soul, Fit Body, as well as uh, this really inspiring cool book of quotes and photography called The Art of Competition. Uh, and there are so many interesting things about Mark beyond just his sort of results on the race course. Uh, the first thing is this guy Although he is a coach today, he never himself had a coach. It's amazing that he was able to uh, become the elite performer uh, that he was without that kind of guidance. But I think what interests me the most about Mark and his story and why I was so drawn to seeking him out for the podcast uh, is that this is a guy who continued to show up in Hawaii for the Ironman World Championships and 
was unable to win. The, the champion, the sort of top of the podium, just continued to elude him until he discovered shamanism, which essentially began to help him sort out his spiritual self, his interior life, uh, his priorities, his limiters, uh, and basically his entire mindset, which I find very fascinating. And this makes up a, a good portion of what we talk about in today's conversation. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. 
What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. All right, awesome. So this is me and Mark Allen talking about his amazing life, his triathlon journey, how he works with athletes today as a coach, and most importantly, his ongoing quest for spiritual expansion. All right, man, thanks for uh, taking the time, Mark. It's a beautiful uh, spot you got right here, just a couple blocks from the beach, conducive to the surfing lifestyle that I know you enjoy. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I moved back up to Santa Cruz uh, 19, 18 years ago in 1999. and. My son was going to be starting kindergarten, and I thought, if I don't get out of San Diego now, which is where I was living, it's not going to happen for another 12 years. Uh -huh. And so we packed the family up, and up here we came. And I've just loved it every single day that I've been here. It's a nice lifestyle. You can do anything. You can bike. You can run. There's trails everywhere. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm pretty much in the water every day now, out and out surfing. And a two-minute walk, not bad. It's right there. Yeah, it's kind of – this town has a very unique – feel it's almost like it's stuck in time you know it's like you can it's its own little universe that seems untouched by you know the bay area and the kind of gestalt of silicon valley and the rest you know it's very ideologically diverse you can pretty much find anybody thinking about anything in the universe here uh -huh. and um i love that though it's full of characters it's a little rough around the edges sometimes yeah. it's not for everybody but for me, I, I absolutely love it. You uh -huh. know, one of the one of the reasons that I moved up here was that um, I've studied shamanism with Brant Secunda since 1990, and he's based here, and so I just wanted to be closer to what mm -hmm. he was doing because it's just like anything. You know, you're like when you're training, it, you, it's good to be around people who are doing the same thing you are. It's motivating, and you know, on that that level of uh, studying shamanism it's just easier to do it when you're in a community where mm. there's people around who are doing the same thing you are and um yeah i love it and it's uh it's been a great journey being up here yeah cool well the shamanism and your uh you know your sort of ongoing um you know spiritual quest for expansion and how that relates not only to your athletic su success, but kind of your life in general is definite. That's why I'm here. This is the, that's the main thing that I want to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. I know you've told your story a million times, but perhaps we can set a little bit of foundation that I think will make, you know, that uh, the spiritual aspect of, of your story, all that more kind of relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, obviously the story is well told, uh, 10 time world champion, six time Ironman world champion, uh, and the lead up to those six Ironman victories, uh, you know, the crucible of that being six losses that preceded that. 
and this quest to try to find a way to, you know, get to a different place with yourself as an athlete so that you could kind of conquer this, you know, this race that seemed to elude you. So maybe, you know, walk us through a little bit what that was like and, and the process of, of, you know, embracing shamanism as a vehicle or a conduit for tapping into, uh, you know, a higher, uh, you know, more fully developed, actualized version of yourself. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, you know, I, I got into the sport of triathlon in 1982 just with the dream of somehow going to Hawaii and crossing that finish line. I ha- had seen uh, uh, the Ironman on Wide World of Sports February 1982, and I was just, you know, first thought is, how many days is it going to take him to do that? Uh-huh. You know, because Jim McKay was saying 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, a marathon. And, uh, of course, it's like one day, start at 7, you got to be done by midnight. And it just seemed absolutely out of the realm of possibility. Like, how can you do that? But, you know, I'm watching this program, and here's these seemingly ordinary-looking people doing this extraordinary thing. And, it, you know, about two weeks later, I just thought, I want to go there and see if I can be one of those people to mm-hmm. cross that finish line. And, you know, I didn't, uh, my, my secret goal when I went there that year was to see if I could maybe be top 100. I thought, you know, I'm 24, I'm young. I, maybe I can, I, I seem to sort of have a knack for cycling and, and running. I was, and you had a, you had a swimming background, right? You were like an all American in college and swimming. Yeah. And in, in NAIA, which uh-huh. is, you know, swimming has so many, not division one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Swimming has so many levels. So you can be the top dog in your lowest level if, you know, if, so anyway, uh, I was a very mediocre swimmer if you look on the grand scale of things. I never was able to even come close to qualifying for like Olympic trials mm-hmm. or nationals like that. Um, but I'm put together, I think, more to to bike and run. And so, you know, I had this aerobic engine that was developed through years as a swimmer. So, you know, the cardiovascular was there. And right away, it uh, just seemed like, you know, I kind of had a knack for this thing called triathlon. And so anyway, I was there. Uh you know, 1982, mm-hmm. I found myself. That was like, with th- how many years into Ironman? What is 79 was the first year, right? 78. 78. So it was, oh. it was four years into it. Um, it was originally on Oahu. They moved it to the big island of Hawaii, and that's when it really took off. And, um, you know, there was, it was easy. You just sent in your application with a right. check and a hit mugshot and you were in the race. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. It was like zero uh-huh. qualifying to do it, you know? So, Probably a lot of people on that start line shouldn't have been there. But uh-huh. you know. and, and how many people did they max out, or could anybody just go if they wanted to go? Oh, there was maybe a thousand people uh-huh. that year. That's still quite a bit. It was quite a bit, but it, you know there was still plenty of room for more. Mm-hmm. Um, the main guy at that time was Dave Scott. He in '82 he had won the race once. He was coming back hoping to win a second title. And, uh, you know, the guy was tough as nails, especially in the in later stages of the race. But I came out of the water that year on his feet. He was the leader out of the water, and I was mm-hmm. second out of the water. And I thought, hmm, that's pretty good. Yeah, and he was no slouch as a swimmer either. No, he, he was a great swimmer. Um, 
halfway through the bike ride, I was still with him and we were in the lead of the race. So now I'm thinking, this is pretty crazy. My first Ironman and here uh-huh. I am with the best guy in the world. And, you know, and your prep leading up to that was you were just winging it, trying to just listen to your body and figure out like, how did you even, you know, prepare, know how to prepare? There, there was nobody who could tell you how to get ready for a triathlon. In 82, there were no mm, triathlon coaches. You know, I kind of, I had a friend who was a cyclist. He gave me his tips as best mm-hmm. as he could. I had uh, another guy that was really good at running and who knew a little bit about triathlon. So he kind of tried to guide me on that level. But it was just, you know, go out there and see how much you could do and hope it didn't kill you, <laughs> uh-huh. you know. And um, so anyway, so I'm, I'm with Dave and we made the turn and we're headed headed back to town. And, um, you know, we had over five minutes on the next guy. And uh, shortly after that, I went to shift into a big gear and my derailleur broke. And so I was out of the race halfway through the bike ride, didn't finish, you know, accomplish that finishing goal, but I had been with the best guy in the world for about four hours of racing. And, you know, it's about half the amount of time it takes to the winners. Mm -hmm. And that's really when the dream was born. Like maybe just maybe I can be the winner of this amazing race. Mm -hmm. Um, And shortly after that, I picked up some sponsorship. Nike picked me up. Uh, I was asked to be on a triathlon team in San Diego. They were going to pay me a thousand bucks a month, which mm-hmm. sounded like a million dollars, you know, back then. And so off I went, you know, and it, you had to be thinking like, man, I don't even know what I'm doing. And I'm up here at the, at the, uh, up here with Dave four hours in this ain't nothing but a thing. I'm going to come back next year and just walk away with this thing. Right. Or at least like, I've got to be in the mix. Like this is going to be, this is all going to happen for me right away. Like quickly. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think it would happen the next year because I didn't, you know, I knew that from hour zero to four is very different from hour four Mm -hmm. to eight, but I thought maybe in a year or two, if I keep on this trajectory that maybe I can, you know, maybe I can win this thing because I had, that very first summer, I had beaten some of the best guys in the sport, Scott Molina, Scott Tinley, at a mm-hmm. half Ironman distance race earlier in the summer. And so really, the only other guy that I had never beaten was Dave. And um, so, yeah, I, w- I wasn't thinking immediate, but I was certainly thinking it's definitely a possibility. Right. And so, you know, the next year I did come back and finish it. I was third. Um, and I... Just wanted to see what that was like to cover that whole distance because I'd never done a full mm-hmm. Ironman. Um, but then it was the next year I thought, okay, now it's my time. Mm-hmm. You figure, you know, you go from being with the best guy to being third place and then why not just keep going and right. completely blew up the next year. I was, tw- I think I had a 12 minute lead off the bike. Ran through town, just like high-fiving, you know, thinking uh-huh. I've got this thing. Nobody's going to catch me, you know, I mean, 12 uh-huh. minutes. And, you know, it was a it was a 10K through town. And then the meat of the marathon was 20 miles out in the lava. And mm-hmm. I, at the bottom of the hill, going up to the, the meat of it, I thought, I've got this thing. When I got to the top of the hill, I felt like every ounce of energy just drained out of my body. And I thought... I don't know what's going to happen here. And indeed, I ended up walking, struggling. And, you know, at one point, the, the medical team came by and I was I had, was stopped in the middle of the road just pouring water on myself. And they go, we need to ask you a few questions because we're not sure we need it. Right. You know, and they go, what, what's your name? 
I go, Mark Allen, leave me alone, you know, and and and, and they go, what are you doing? I, what am I doing? I'm doing the Iron Man. And then they go, what day is it? And I'm thinking to myself, is it Saturday or Sunday? I had <laughs> right. no idea. I couldn't, and I knew if I got the answer wrong, they're pulling me out. I go, I yeah. am fine. Just let me go. And they, you know, they let me go. But that's when I really saw. Um, how challenging and complex the Ironman is. You know, my training had gone even better that year than the first two years, but I ended up walking on the marathon and having a, a, an abysmal. And not just the Ironman in general, but there's something very specific in particular about the Ironman in Hawaii. Well, the Big Island is such a powerful, powerful place. You get off of the plane and you can just feel it right away. It's and you come down onto the tarmac. You don't go through a, a little jetway. You go, you know, right down onto the hot tarmac. The wind's blowing. The sun's beating down on you, and all of a sudden, you realize what you're what you're in for. And even when you're flying in, it, it flies right along the west side of the island where the course is, and mm -hmm. it's just stark black lava with one little ribbon of road that is the Ironman course. And you know, there's there's, it's very intense. It so you know you can look at it as intense negative like i want to run and hide or you can look at it intense as wow this is so powerful let me embrace this and i didn't ha i did not have a way to embrace it i was intimidated by the the feel there i love hawaii i loved being there but i was intimidated by the the energy and the intensity of the island and you know as the years unfolded over the next you know 6 years the first 6 years i did ironman each time I saw that that island had a way of opening doorways into your personality that you can easily keep locked tight and shut and not look at in a normal situation. It will show you exactly who you are. It'll show you exactly who you are and where you are within yourself. And um, like anything, that's just an opportunity to to embrace that and move past it or to get stuck with it. And, you know, I, every time things would start to fall apart, the, you know, the intensity of the race and the island and everything, and all of a sudden I'm looking at fear or self-doubt or, uh, you know, even like anger, like, why can't I win this thing? You know, how come Dave Scott's uh -huh. winning this? You know, you get that cynical conversation going on in your head. And I didn't have a way to, to quiet that, that voice inside, nor did I have a way to come to the big island and and honor that energy with my efforts, you know? And so... Well, first you need sort of a foundational like language to even understand what's going on, mm -hmm. to really conceptualize this, this powerful duality that's at play, the dark and the light, you know, the heavy and the, you know, it's like the energy is so palpable on that island. And it really is like this this mirror, you know, it's like, Hey man, you know, roll the dice at your own risk when you come here and you can, you can, if you're tapped in, like you can feel it. There is no question about it. And if you're not right with yourself, it will crush you, mm. you know? And so I think the first step is coming to an understanding of that reality and then trying to figure out a process for unpacking that so that you can then do that work of getting right with yourself or being able to objectively, <clears throat> you know, do that inventory, look in the mirror and, 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 you know, clean your house, so to speak, so that you can then, you know, be as, uh, optimally expressive of who you are for your next visit. So that's a journey. This is really the journey. I feel like that 
that Iron Man presented for you. Mm. So how does it first manifest? Like you're you're dealing with these losses and this sort of rivalry with Dave, but at some point there has to be kind of a a, a moment where you're like, all right, like how do I how do I how do I finally transcend this kind of you know this rut this cycle that I'm in? Yeah, you know the first the first step for me was. Um, actually going there with the right focus you know the first five first six years that i raced there well a- after that first year the next five were years where i was thinking maybe i can win maybe i can win maybe i can win and each year i was not winning and then in 1989 uh that was a point where it was like okay either i don't go back or i go back in a very different way because what i'm doing is not working and so i that year i, I changed a lot of key things about my training. The general stuff was the same, but there were a few f- things that I tweaked that really brought my physical training in line with what that race required and demanded. More specifically? More specifically, well, like, you know, I was I was doing a lot of Saturday, Sunday, long bike, long run, double thing, you know, so long bike Saturday, long run Sunday, you know, six hours, six and a half hours on Saturday, run two and a half, mm-hmm. sometimes three hours on Sunday. So that's standard stuff. Standard stuff. That's a lot of training on top of everything else you're doing throughout the week. However, uh, I saw that I was falling apart after hour six of the race. You know, I was really strong through hour six, but then I just started to fall. Everything fell off. So it's like, okay, I'm doing a great, a lot of training in two days, but the Ironman is a one day race mm-hmm. and it lasts eight hours. So, that year I did um, five training days throughout the year, sprinkled throughout the year where I'd swim about 30 minutes, bike seven hours and run 30 minutes off the bike. So I was actually doing eight hour training days, which race day sims. Yeah. And that started to bring me in line with what I needed to do to be physically ready. But um, there was also that internal character part that was having a bit of problem you know first of all i admitted hey i was afraid of that race i was afraid of the distance the heat the wind of dave scott you know and i also realized i if i'm going to go back what what can i do with the focus so that it's not the same focus that's not working and i realized i was trying to win and, and winning is dependent on everybody else so in 89, I thought, I'm going to just go there and try to have my best race. And it's easy to say that, you know, like, oh, I'm going to have my best race mm-hmm. and don't worry about everybody else. But more to, to use the, the skill and the, the talent of these other great competitors to help elevate me to a level that I would never be able to go on my own. So it was more just going there to say, hey, let me see what I can do to have a great race if I win, great. If I get second, great. If I get fifth, no problem. But I just right. want to have my best race, swim, bike, run, don't fall apart. So hey, so in, it, rather than than sort of hanging your hat on the externalities that you can't control, really reeling it in and focusing on the things that you can control, which is obviously your performance. And it kind of ends with that, right? That's There's nothing be outside. You can't control the wind. You can't control Madame Pele or right. the heat or Dave, you know, uh, Dave Scott, any of these other competitors. Yeah, and, and it, it really, you know, I, I will never forget... Um, that year being in the water before the race, feeling this peace that I'd never felt before because it just felt like, okay, this is the right focus. 
And uh, I, I didn't have that uptight feeling that I normally had. I mean, I was nervous and it's Ironman and, you know, been training all year for it, but it was very different. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it turned out, Dave and I were together on the swim. We were together on the bike. We were together through the opening miles of the marathon through town. And, and finally, about the half marathon point, um, we passed the last guy who'd been ahead of us. And so one of us was going to win and we were on this pace that was going to shatter his previous record and unfortunately at that point he was the guy who was feeling stronger and he started surging and pushing the pace and building it and building it and we were going close to six minute pace and mm. and then you know all the garbage starts going on in my brain like ah Dave he's gonna win it again I didn't do the right kind of training you know I was whining to myself and Finally, it got so hard to match his pace that I just like my mind just went quiet because all, all the energy just went into taking that next step. And literally in an instant, my mind went quiet. This amazing transformation took place. And to describe that, two days before the race, I was in my hotel room and I was flipping through a magazine, just passing time, not reading anything until one page caught my attention. And it was uh, an at ad for a workshop that was going to take place in Mexico, teaching about a way of life from the Indians in that area, the Huichol Indians. And the workshop was going to be led by uh, these two great shamans or medicine men. One was a 110-year-old Huichol Indian, Don Jose, and the other was his adopted grandson, Brant Secunda. Mm -hmm. And there was photos of both of them, and they just it was those photos that stopped me as I looked at this. And they just had this look that was very peaceful but powerful. You know, and that's that's kind of the state you're trying to embody and embrace when you're in that real flow and racing. You just want to feel peace, but also feel like this strength that's surging through you. And I wasn't feeling any of it in that moment. You know, Dave is the guy who's surging and I'm barely hanging on and my mind goes quiet. And Don Jose, it's like he came back to me. It's like he was right there, almost like floating right next to me. You know? And you hadn't even done the workshop. You just saw the ad. Yeah, I'd, I'd just seen the ad. <laughs> That's how powerful the image was for you. Yeah, and you know, I mean, so, it, you know, later Brant would, as I was studying with him, he would say, you know, there's many realities that can coexist at the same time in the same place. And so clearly that was one of them because here's Dave Scott. He's surging. He's thinking about what he's going to drink at the next aid station and how he's going to break me. And I'm having this vision of a 110-year-old Weechul Indian right there next to me and i just felt like i was receiving this life force or energy from him from that image of him or that vision of him and uh i could just feel myself coming back and getting stronger and stronger and stronger and it was it was a real tipping point for the race and it was about a mile after that that i realized oh my god i really can win this Mm -hmm. and it was the first moment i think i ever really felt like i can win this but <laughs> I, I had had these blisters on the and arches of my feet, uh, blood blisters pop. There was my shoes were red, mm. you know, my legs were killing me, and I didn't know if I could even take another step. So here I am, I know I can win, but I don't know if I can take another step. I know I can win, but yeah. I don't. And so you know, it was just that thing of just because you can doesn't mean it's you're going to you ha- still have to take every step all the way to the completion of that goal or whatever it is that, you, that you're engaged in and so you know I I did go on to win that year um 
Dave had his best Ironman. He, he beat his previous time by about 17 minutes, and I did my best on that day by nearly 30. And the difference in our times was 58 seconds, a very, Incredible. very small difference. But And that is the iron war that has gone down in history and been written about extensively. And that marathon time was 2.40, right? 2.40.04. Is that still the fastest uh, marathon at at Hawaii? The A guy broke it this year. Um he went about 20 seconds faster mm. than my time. The The interesting thing about it is that his marathon time uh, was purely from the start of the marathon to the end of it. Our split that year, our marathon split included the time. It, it's Our marathon time started the second our bikes crossed into the transition area. So it included uh, it the included transition. transition. Yeah. But anyway, so... Right. Yeah, I had, so we're I, gonna I, say you still you still hold on to that. <laughs> maybe I I had I had the I had the official record there for many many years. Many years, and and that's something I want to get to as well. You know, I mean that was still the dawn of this sport, and for that marathon time to withstand that amount of time, I think speaks to you know certain things that you were doing, and and you know I think it's it's worthy of kind of exploring training techniques, how they've changed and how they've evolved and, and why you were able to, you know, run that pace and have that time, you know, hold up over so many years, despite all the advances in training and nutrition and gear and all the like, but let's continue on through the, the, the current narrative. So, you know, on that day, it looked like the biggest thing that happened was that I won for the first time. And Indeed, it was amazing. I mean, to come down that that last little stretch along the Lee Drive, knowing that I wasn't going to cramp, I wasn't going to fall down, I was going to win. Dave could not catch me. Um, you know, you hold your emotions at bay throughout the day, and because you really do have to try to be as steady as possible, so that the the down moments don't draw you down. And if you're feeling really good, you don't get too excited and go too hard. You know, and so you're just trying to find this steady middle ground and it again this is Composure. something yeah and, and this is something that that brant would emphasize about the weechel indians he said they're always just steady no matter what's going on and they like to crack a joke so they're always laughing you know and and if you think about it you know that that year it was like the first year that i kind of didn't take myself so seriously in the sense that i want to be the champion you know mm -hmm. it's like that's almost that was just taking it too seriously and as opposed to saying hey let me just go out there and see what i can do let me just try to have a great race and so you know i i was able to find that right place to be in to have a great race there you know to have that vision of don jose was really um that was a turning point in my life because i realize that there's so much more going on than just meets the eyes in your normal day-to-day -day reality. And and it was shortly after that that I, I did go to that workshop in Mexico and I met Brant and has mm -hmm. studied with him since. And, he, you know, he's been a real force for enabling me to keep developing myself as a human being, you know, each and every day. And it's that that was also one of the one of the reasons I think I was, it was very easy for me to transition out of the sport of triathlon because when I was racing, I put all my energy into it indeed, for sure. But I knew that that was just part of who I am, you know, an, an athlete. I'm also a father. I'm a two-legged on this earth. I, you know, I'm part of my community. I'm part of, uh, this whole world in this earth. And, it was very easy for me to transition out because, you know, just being alive is such an important 
um, thing and quality to be grateful for and humble for. That's really beautifully put. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You know, and just sort of thinking about how you made that switch from the person who's holding on so tightly to this idea of becoming champion and what was required to actually transform you into that champion was a detachment from your ego and and perhaps a a healthy injection of humility right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and that journey as it continued to evolve and blossom you know propelled you through six total championships right so it's almost like ironic you know like you have to take yourself out of um, all of these things that you think you need to be in order to win, in order to actually be the person who, who sort of can handle that victory and, you know, whether what is required to not only get there, but sort of manage it psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. Yeah. That's sort of so much of great performances for me anyway, in, in, in the sport triathlon were a paradox. Because you have to have this deep desire to do something to kind of get yourself out the door every day. But at the same time, uh, you have to also be willing to just let it go and just say, hey, however it turns out, it's going to be all right. And to really trust in that and, and believe it. And when you can do that and just let it go, then it's like you're all of a sudden you're free and you have so much more energy. You know, it takes energy to have a desire or to hold on to a dream, you know, that to keep going because of this thing that you wanted to do, as opposed to just 
being quiet and then and just doing what you're doing mm-hmm. you know that's such a that's such a more peaceful way to do it and there's so much more energy available because nothing's stuck and you're you're uh you know, you're like the giant oak tree. You're 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 unaffected by your environment. Like you're able to to respond without being reactive, uh-huh. right? Like there is a there is a tremendous amount of like strength and power in that. I mm-hmm. think, right? So as you begin to uh, you know study shamanism and explore these ideas with Brant and beyond, like what is what is it that you're learning? Like what is it that's changing about you? Well, we wrote a book together called Fit Soul, Fit Body, Nine Keys to a Healthier, Happier You. And in there, it's kind of those nine keys are really like almost like a template for what I went through and did to become a champion over and over and over uh, in, in, in triathlon. You know, it's dealing with the negative emotions, embracing positive qualities, um, managing stress, training in the right way eating in a way that's designed for the way our genetics are set up. I mean, our genetics haven't changed in thousands and thousands of years, but the things we eat, the environment that we're in is very different than our ancient ancestors. But it's those ancient genetics that um, keeps us alive and healthy. So, you know, we feel good when we're out in nature, right? We feel good when we move. We don't feel as good when we sit around. We don't feel as good when we're enclosed in these things called houses or offices Mm -hmm. 24-7. You know, I, uh, and and this was all so natural for me because like as a kid, I had this feeling like I just wanted to put my arms around the earth and give her a hug. You know, I I, I didn't tell my friends this, obviously, you know, it's like, okay, dude, (laughs) right on, you give her a hug, right? Uh But that's sort of the way I feel. And I think, you know, kids are like that. And then somehow we, we forget that we are a part of nature. Not only that, the idea that you could be like that would be frowned upon. Right? Yeah. So we're we're sort of, you know, pulled away from that natural tendency that we gravitate towards as kids. And, you know, your book is is called Fit Soul, Fit Body. It's not called Fit Body, Fit Soul, right? There's one precedes the other. And and sort of reprioritizing that and understanding that the more we can uh, adjust our daily lifestyle habits to be in sync and rhythm with the mm. natural, you know, sort of uh, you know, with our, with, with our environment that the happier and the more <laughs> adjusted we're going to be. Yeah. We actually had, we debated that it should be fit body, fit soul, fit soul, fit body. And, um, you know, everybody in our world here knows about the fit body. I look at every magazine cover of Mr. and Mrs. Beautiful, right? We know we have this body, but it's like, what is our soul? What is our inner character? What is our inner environment? Like and when when that gets li- lined up in a more positive direction, then everything else is easier to take care of. You know, so you know if if you're happy, you want to take care of yourself physically, right? If you're depressed or you're isolated, then you don't have as much energy, and you mm-hmm. you don't take as good a care of yourself. You don't eat eat the same. You don't sleep the same. You don't exercise the same, and so. Just like you can get in a negative spiral, you can also get in a positive spiral going in in that in that right direction too. Yeah, it's a it's a harder sell for people though. You know what I mean? Everyone wants the six pack abs, but if you tell somebody, hey, you know what? Actually, the better road is the inside job. Maybe the six pack abs will come down the line. Maybe they won't. But if you really want to be happy, if you want to 
feel contented, if you want to pursue a life of purpose, maybe look inward a little bit. People aren't so excited about that always. Well, I think part <laughs> of it is one that that inner fitness is it can be a painful process, you know, like changing your physical being in some ways is is easy for people. You exercise more, you eat less, whatever it is. But um, it, old patterns that we have that don't serve us, those can be harder to change. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it is, you know, you can measure so many of the physical changes, but it's hard to quantify emotional or spiritual changes. Like, am I happier than I was last year? Do I love life more than I did last year? You know, I think so, but I'm not sure. But for sure, it's like, oh yeah, I'm 15 pounds lighter than I was last year. I can run 30 seconds a mile faster. It's it's more quantifiable. So I think it's maybe easier for people to... Yeah, the math is trickier because the idea that unpacking, you know, whatever resentments you have or past trauma and how that's going to relate to how you're going to move forward in a more, you know, productive way isn't so clear, like you said. Yeah. And it is hard. It's painful. And it's it's not... It's not linear either, right? So if you if you have to describe like the the, the fundamental kind of core ideology or, or premise behind shamanism, you know, how do you speak to that? Brand often describes it as developing a relationship with the spiritual world of nature. You know, taking time to witness a sunrise or witness a sunset. Um, taking time to go for a walk in the woods or sit by a creek and listen to the sound or just be with the ocean and and watch that energy and that power. And I mean, everybody has had that experience where you're somewhere, maybe you're in the mountains or you pull up to the ocean or you see something for the first time and you just go, wow, look at that. You know, and in that moment, that wow moment, you have forgotten about your credit card debt. You forgot about the dent in your car you got to get fixed. You know, all these, all your problems are gone because you have made just a natural connection with that uh, environment in nature. And it's part of how we're hardwired. I mean, you know, they've done studies with it. So, for example, they, they took some college students and they had one group do 30 minutes of exercise on a treadmill. And then they had a, a second group outside doing 30 minutes of exercise. And both of them re, um, experienced and had reductions in the stress hormones, but the people who did it outside had a greater reduction and it lasted longer, mm-hmm. you know, just because that's just how we're hardwired. It's very simple. Right. You don't have to try, you just have to do. And as you're starting to, you know, embrace these principles and incorporate them into your life, throughout your 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 triathlon training triathlon career i mean you were never you never had a coach right you were always like a self-coach guy mm-hmm. so how are those principles getting translated into how you're living your life on a daily basis well that's a good question you know when i was like you said i didn't have a coach when i was racing and that's you know i've actually i've been telling a lot more of retelling the stories of my career recently because i'm relaunching my my coaching mark allen coaching and we're we're trying to just show that, hey, I, what I had to go through to get to those six Ironman victories was the same journey that a lot of people are going through as they're getting into the sport and trying to figure out how to train and, uh, you know, hopefully not making as many mistakes as mm-hmm. I did, you know, because you have coaches now. And um, 
But I learned about all the things that can go wrong because I did them all wrong. And then I figured out how to do them right. And it's, you know, my, my coaching is very simple. It's not super complicated. It's not entertainment in terms of having a million different kinds of workouts. It's just basic training that actually really works. It got me six Ironman victories. And in tandem with that uh, was what I was doing with Brent, where I, I would go to retreats with him a couple times a year. And one of them was always in August. Uh, it was eight or nine days where I, right in August, is see, my season starts in January. I start training and it takes until August to get to the point where I have enough fitness. So then I can bump it up to real Ironman training for about six or seven weeks mm -hmm. before Kona. And right at the point where me and all my training buddies are in shape, finally good enough shape to do this, this high intensity Ironman training stuff. I take eight days off from swimming, biking and running, you know, and they're like, you're going to go do what? You How know? dare you? Yeah. We're going to be doing a long bike ride. <laughs> Good. Go for it. Uh -huh. But I was working on that internal environment, working on developing that ability to keep my mind quiet through the, the, the practices that Brant taught and finding that place of peace and calm and trust and steadiness and finding that ability, honing that ability to connect with the natural environment, wherever it is that I'm at. You know, Brant always mentions you should feel at home no matter where you are on this earth on this beautiful altar of Mother Earth. And that's certainly something that was serving me really well each of those years that I was going back after meeting him and having to do this thing called the Ironman in that amazing place called the Big Island of Hawaii. And, you know, it was like it was like night and day. Like before 1989, before I met Brant, I would be on the marathon and I'd look around and I felt like I was in this hell, you know I mean? Here you are, it's hot, stark, black lava, you know, it always seemed like uh, there was no wind on the marathon so, mm -hmm. or the wind was moving with you. So you were it was just stifling heat. Afterwards, you know, when I was working, studying with him and starting to develop all of these principles that he teaches, I'd look around and go, wow this look at awesome. this this is just unbelievable and you would i would still feel the heat and still feel that intensity but it's like i was just embraced it mm -hmm. and it just felt great that i had this opportunity this chance to be out here doing this on this amazing day in this amazing place mm -hmm. yeah your perspective completely shifts and uh and your relationship with those externalities is so different. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, I think, you know, a couple observations on that. The first is, is really the importance of, of mindset. However you decide to define that. I mean, at the highest echelon of not just triathlon, any sport, like all these athletes are just incredibly gifted, talented. They're all, tr you know, their whole life is about training. Uh, their understanding of nutrition has improved. Like all, everything is dialed in perfectly. And yet mindset, the psychology and let alone the, the sort of spiritual component that goes into all of this is really a final frontier that I feel like is still so woefully under addressed. And I think it's to the detriment of most elite athletes. Right. And so the, the idea that you would take those eight days and really focus on honing in your mindset and getting right with yourself so that you could perform. I mean, that is like, that takes, the, the second observation is, is, is responsibility, right? Like taking responsibility for your career 
and not like to the extent that there are coaches now and that's great and they can guide you. I think what happens, at least with a lot of amateur athletes, is you divest yourself of responsibility for your own career and you vest it in the hands of a coach and you'll just do whatever that person tells you rather than say, like, I really need to know what's right for me and what's best for myself. That comes through experimentation. It comes through experience, of course. Uh, but to have the kind of cojones and the wherewithal to say, I'm going to take eight <laughs> days off speaks to like the importance of mindset. And it speaks to, you know, really taking responsibility for for your trajectory in this pursuit. Yeah, you know, coaching is a it's a collaboration if it's going to work really well. Um, I feel like I learn a lot through the experience of training and racing that and so many things that just you'll never find in a book because science is pretty darn good, but it doesn't know everything about mm -hmm. everything. Right. And so, um, like I said, my coaching is very simple on the surface, but it comes from a lot of experience. And then at, at the same time, it's people need to take that. And then maybe there will be a little modification they make based on their lifestyle, based on the stress that they're under, based on, you know, how it's their body is responding. You can set up the ideal training plan, but life does not follow the ideal training right. plan. Never does. And so, you, yeah, you have to... It's such a bummer that it doesn't work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that thing called work, it kind of gets in the way of all uh -huh. that fun stuff that most people are trying to do out there. But what is... So if you had to articulate your, your training philosophy or your coaching philosophy with the athletes that you work with... What does that look like? Like, do you have a specific approach that is unique or different or? My overarching goal is to get people fit without burning them out or injuring them. You know, you can, you can take somebody and, and that takes time and patience. You know, you can take somebody from not much to a fairly high level of fitness fairly quickly with very intense training, but mm. It's also a slippery slope because they get to the top quick, but then they can crash down on the other side very just as easily. And so, you know, that was actually one of one of the overarching goals that I had when I was racing was to exit the sport healthy, uninjured, and not burned out, which I was able to do. So it takes a lot of just steady aerobic training to do that, along with some faster stuff for mm -hmm. sure, some strength training because. That's how our bodies respond. I mean, if you kind of go back to like ancient genetics and, and how we were built to survive, most of what our ancient ancestors did was just fairly steady movement. You know, the, the Huichol Indians in Mexico, they're not doing wind sprints up and right. down their mountains. You know, everything is steady, but they're moving and they are... It's like the blue zones. Yeah, they're, they're carrying loads of corn and firewood and water and, you know, so they're exercising their muscles along with their cardiovascular system. And so if you sort of model that, um, you know, like I said, back in ancient times, the only time you really sprinted was to get out of the way of danger, right? Or maybe when you were at the end of a, a kill, ready to get the lion or whatever it is. But most of movement was steady. So mimic that in the training, and that's how you're going to get somebody at their fittest possible. And that's what I do. Right. So a lot of aerobic zone training, Z2 kind of stuff and, and patience, understanding that it's a multiple year experience, right? right. If you really want to, uh, you know, sort of manifest your potential. Yeah. And pain is not necessarily the, the great goal, mm -hmm. you know, 
things can actually be enjoyable in your training. They don't have to hurt all the time. So. Right. Yeah, it seems like the the sort of predominant um, you know experience of the the amateur athlete is to kind of train in that gray zone. They're not going easy enough on easy days. They're not going hard enough mm-hmm. on hard days. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of going out and you know feeling like they got something out of their mm-hmm. workout mm-hmm. every single day without enough thought and and sort of conscious intentionality behind what they're doing and you know you you strike me as somebody who throughout your career had the wherewithal to kind of know when to hold back like if you're run if you're riding in the in the in the bunchy you know or you're doing those crazy san i mean back in the day san diego that was the spot right mm-hmm. everyone was running and gunning a lot of pressure to be a you know a workout hero right and a lot of workout heroes turn into race day zeros because they're so focused <laughs> on who's going to win the workout you know and not doing not sort of like being intentional about what the purpose of that specific workout is yeah and that's where ego comes in right yeah, you you know you can either be the champion of each day's workout, or you can maybe be a champion overall in a race that that means a lot to you. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't be the champion of both. And like you said, so many people are doing that gray zone training where it's it's too hard to really be considered aerobic, and it's too easy to really give you the the benefits that actually very hard speed work can, will give you. And so it just sort of ends up burning them out mm-hmm. instead of giving them the real benefit. And it, it's hard for people to have the, it's a different kind of discipline for people to remain in that aerobic zone, especially if they're inexperienced and, and they have to really go slow. So they feel like they're not getting anything out of it and they feel like they're getting gypped, you know, and they want to expedite that process. But it really requires just fidelity to that journey which is its own kind of you know it's it's just as hard to hold back as it is to go hard sometimes yeah i don't i don't know any triathlete that i have to motivate to train you know they're all type AAA. they're all let's go um when i first started training like training smart as opposed to training just in that gray zone you know, I had to slow down my pace running over three minutes a mile just to keep my heart rate from skyrocketing over that aerobic upper limit. And at first I thought, this is not going to get me anywhere. I mean, how can I, I'm running slower than guys twice my age. How am I going to, how am I going to win a race at this pace? But obviously as I built that aerobic pace and all of a sudden I'm starting to, to run faster at that same pace. And eventually, you know, I could run a five and a half minute pace and still be aerobic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I'm in a race and we're running 530 miles, I'm aerobic and I'm, all my guys running next to me, they're way anaerobic already, you know, and it just, it pays off. And the other thing that that will do is it will give you, it'll give you durability and longevity. You know, we, in the relaunch of my coaching, we, we, we have a thing, it's called 1621 Infinity. And uh, the, the guy, Scott Zagarino and his agency, came up with that concept and he sent me those numbers, one, six, 21 infinity. And he goes, what are those? And I'm thinking, I don't know. Is it like the end of the world? I don't know yes. what, you know, some kind of weird yeah. Aztec <laughs> right, Mayan right. calendar thing or, and he goes, that's your resume. And I, and he goes, the one is you were the first ever ITU Olympic distance world champion. You know, very few people who are new to the sport know that you were actually really good at Olympic distance mm-hmm. races racing the six is your six ironman triathlon world championships and some people most people probably know know that stat but to show that 
not only were you good at Olympic distance, but Ironman, there's very few who can cross all those distances. The 21 was a 21 race winning streak from 1988 through 1990. And at all distance races included some duathlons. Um, you know, again, it's just showing the, the versatility that you had based on the fact that you really trained smart. You did the right kind of training. You didn't burn yourself out. You didn't over race. And then the infinity was, uh, in 2012, ESPN had a, they were trying to figure out who's the greatest athlete of all time. And so what they did is they had 16 different athletic categories like endurance and football and game changer and tennis. They had, you know, and they had a, they had five in each category. Um, and then people voted who was the best in each category. And somebody called me up and they go, Hey, you're on this thing with ESPN. You're one of the five they've listed as, as one of the greatest endurance athletes of all time. And people are voting on it. And I ended up getting over 50% of all the votes mm -hmm. in that category, um, which voted me the greatest endurance athlete of all time. And then in the next round, I was put up against uh, Muhammad Ali. And that was it. <laughs> that that was it. I mean, well, then it went. Then it went to it went to greatest athlete of all time. Yeah, right? not just endurance. Athlete. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, you got the crown on endurance. Know, athlete, you know was, what I mean? But I, I was just psyched that you know I I did what I did because I loved it. Um, I didn't race to make a mark in history or become a, a something a name in the sport or anything. I just did it because it was coming from inside of me. I just loved what I did. I loved the experience. I loved the journey that I was on. And to realize that other people out there in the world were watching what I did and, and to get honored in that way, to even just to be listed in one of the top five endurance athletes of all time. And then mm -hmm. to get that voted that, I was like, wow, pretty cool. If you had to describe, you know, what, it, what, what was it or what is it about it that you loved, right? Like what drew you to it? I mean, I know you saw it on television and you thought, I'm gonna do this, this is great. And your first one, you're already like, you know, mixing it up with the best. So obviously there's, this is what you were supposed to be doing, mm. but what is it specifically that you feel like magnetized you to this world? Initially, it was just like this puzzle, figure out how do I, how can I put together an Ironman, a great Ironman, but then it be, really became kind of a a practice for me for developing myself and perfecting myself. You know, and I think you can you can use almost anything as a practice. You can use chopping carrots as a practice. You can use shamanism as a practice. You can use. Uh, being a parent as a practice to develop yourself and to learn more about life each day. And that's, that's a lot of what triathlon was doing for me. Mm -hmm. and yeah. It's, it's how you do, uh, anything is how you do everything. And there was that great quote that I'm going to butcher that you said not too long ago about, um, Iron Man is, what is it? Uh, what did you say? Like Iron Man will take you from the person you think you are or will dismantle the person you think you are and essentially transform you into the person you're meant to be hmm. something like do you, do, wasn't do you remember that's what probably you said? even something better than like what that. i said i don't know what it was <laughs> but the the core idea being the same yeah um you know think you can think of it this way if you can 
you, you can do the same thing over and over and over and work yourself into a rut. Or you can do yourself, do the same thing over and over and over. But if it's done with awareness, then it becomes a practice to evolve your perfection in doing that and in perfecting that thing, whatever it is. I think, it, like you said, it affects everything that you do. And so that's the way that I train. So when I did runs, I'd go out and I'd do the same loops over and over and over. But I tried to do them a little bit better each time. Maybe my stride is a little different. Maybe my carriage is a little different. Maybe I'm relaxed. Maybe my mind is more quiet. Maybe I'm being more attuned to what's going on outside of me instead of just thinking about what's going on inside of me. You know, it becomes this whole practice for, I guess, becoming maybe more aware would be one way to mm -hmm. say it. I'm not quite sure, but, and I think you can see that, um, in, in athletes who have been doing something for a long time, some of them look, their bodies look like they're broken down. Like they're just stuck in this. They don't move right anymore. And I think those are the folks who just go out and they do the routine over and over, but there's no awareness put into it. And other people, they, they go out and they do the same thing over and over and they are just supple and loose and everything is pliable and plastic because they're moving slightly different each time they go out and do it. And that's what I try to do when I surf. You know, it's go out there and just do a little different. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. When you look at triathlon and perhaps Ironman more specifically, it's been quite the trajectory from, you know, the days when you were racing to what it is now. I mean, beginning in 78, as you said, you know, Ironman being just a, you know, ragtag group of crazy endurance freaks, you know, pushing the limits and under the radar, no sponsorship money, no tele, none of this stuff. And now it's become this massive enterprise, uh, one of the largest participation sports in the world. Um, and yet you're somebody who at the very kind of outset of this sport, you know, has raced it as fast as anybody ran this 240 marathon in 1989 that was stood the test of time before power meters and heart rate monitors and Garmin watches and, you know, arrow helmets and all the kind of crazy <laughs> stuff that goes into it now. And, and so I'm interested in how you conceptualize all of that because, you know, a lot of people are just like, tell me what kind of shoes should I get? What's the watch that I need? What is the gear? And they won't do anything until they have all the gear. And they've, they've, they've sort of uh, invested so much in what the gear can do for them. And yet, you know, your, your experience and your record speaks to kind of the fundamental simplicity of it all, right? The fact that you were doing this so long ago before any of all of these advances. Like, so how do you think about that kind of stuff? And specifically, how do you, you know, mentor the athletes that you coach with regard to those issues? Yeah, you know, a lot of people ask, well, with all of the 
body measuring metrics and things that we have now why aren't athletes just blowing away the times that that i did when i was racing in hawaii and uh you know i think part of it is that so much of performance is not measurable you know how do you how do you quantify desire how do you quantify how do you measure stillness within yourself in the midst of chaos of racing you know, these are, those are things that they're not going to show up on your Garmin. You know, all, all of the devices can be used for feedback, but when they become the overriding thing that's telling you what's going on, I think you're missing a whole, you're missing a whole side of what sport could be for you as, as an athlete. It, it can be life transformative if you go beyond the numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, if all you do is follow the numbers, then it, there's no consciousness or awareness that's going into it. It's just a measurement. And, you know, we didn't have all those things to measure. So we had to tune in and figure out sensations and read our own bodies maybe more. And, and that's, that's also... shamanistic in its own right. Yeah, you know, and, and that's, like I said, with my coaching, it's fairly simple. I don't have, like, in, you know, I give somebody a, th- a three-hour ride. I don't give them 20 different zones that they've got to do for five minutes here and three minutes there. It will give them the right kind of workout, but at the same time, because it is simple on the surface, it will give them time to actually think about themselves and to feel and tune in as opposed to trying to remember what do I need to do for zone three? How many minutes on zone two? You know, it's it's not entertainment. It's it's part of the journey, mm-hmm. if you make it one. With the athletes that you coach and, and kind of what you observe just from being in this world and being around all these races, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions or mistakes that most athletes are making in the multi-sport or maybe the running world? I don't know if they're making that many mistakes um or just maybe misconceptions misperceptions about their approach how yeah. they're training how they're racing well I, I i would say in general it's just uh like i said if if the focus is only about numbers and placings and times then you're missing a whole part of the sport you're missing what the sport can give you because it can give you so many lessons about yourself which are lessons about life which will empower you in other areas of your life and enable you to approach things from a broader perspective if you use this canvas to learn. You know, I always tell people, the only bad race is one that you don't learn something from. And that goes for the races where your performance is less than you had wanted and also races where Mm -hmm. your performance was as good or better than you'd hoped for. If you don't learn something, then that's a bad race. But if you learn something, that's golden. And I'm not talking about learning a strategy necessarily, but more something about yourself that you didn't know before or a place that you were able to go to that you didn't think you had that later on you will be able to access. You know, I I was, uh, I gave a talk at, at the Ironman pasta party, carbo dinner two nights before the race this past year. And one of the things I said was that you know, I in the first six years that I raced in at the Ironman in Hawaii, I had some pretty bad days, some rough days, some tough days, and I thought the island was out 
had it out for me. You know, yeah. yeah, you know, it's like personal I'm, I'm vendetta cursed. against yeah. Marco. Uh-huh. I don't like this guy. I'm gonna, you know, uh-huh. we're gonna kill this guy. But then, in retrospect, I can look back and I realize that, you know, the Big Island in its very tough love way was teaching me the things I needed to learn to be able to go and win that race six mm-hmm. times. You know, teaching me how to take that next step when I didn't think I could keep going, how to give 100% of what I had to give, even if on that day it was so much less than I could have had on another day, how to quiet those thoughts that can derail you in the midst of what potentially could be the greatest race you were ever going to have if you can get yourself to be quiet. And so I was just learning all those lessons in those tough years that enabled me then to go, go and win six Right. You had to learn these life lessons in order to be able to step into the kind of person who could earn that title. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like, I mean, it's, 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 it's almost like, uh, the Bhagavad Gita or like the Iliad. Like these are, these are like storytelling principles that are as old as man, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, no, you're not going to get the win yet. You have to go through this crucible of life and learn these lessons that have nothing to do with triathlon or running or cycling or swimming, but have to do with who you are as a human being and your relationship with yourself. And once you can re- you know, wrestle with and reconcile and, and overcome whatever those sort of character barriers are, then you can step into this more fully actualized person who is the person who can who can, you know, cross that finish line only he drive first, mm. right? It's just, it's poetic and, and marvelous and beautiful and true. It's truth, right? Yeah. You know, we, Brant and I teach a workshop together, Fit Soul Fit Body. We have one in Santa Cruz here, 17th through the 19th. In February, right? February. Coming up. It's coming up. And um, in, in those, I really highlight how that, when I tell the stories of the races before I won and the ones after, people really get a sense of how it was a, a journey that transcended sport. And and that's also one of the reasons, you know, I'm kind of retelling these stories now in through my coaching and, and through that whole venue of our social media to try to get people to use athletics for what it really can be and to enrich their life through it not only just so that they feel good and health they're healthier and maybe do something that they never thought they could on a physical level but to to also use it as a real life experience yeah and you know you ask about iron man it really has grown i mean it was just recently purchased by uh a, a chinese company and they are using that over in china to help hopefully develop um kind of like a, a lifestyle goal and system for the the kids like they're going to have iron a ton of iron kids events and these iron kids hotels and just all sorts of stuff to, <laughs> wow to uh. to give them something to aspire to so that you know now that their middle class is growing these kids will would be healthy as opposed to becoming overweight and having inactive lifestyles to give them something to aspire to to have an active lifestyle mm-hmm have you been over to China? Are you involved in that at all? Uh, I have not been yet. We're hoping that I'll get over there this year for a couple events and, right. and to be a part of that growth. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, and so in your, you know, as you retired from the sport and stepped into coaching, and, you know, I know that like you've embraced surfing, which is kind of like this beautiful sort of metaphoric, uh, you know, approach to all the things that we're talking about. I mean, do you still 
run, bike, and swim? Or is that like in your rear view? Like, where do you, where did you put all of that competitive flair that used to light your pilot light? You know, like, does that, like, how does, how does that, does that go into the coaching and the teaching and all of these other things? Or how did you kind of transmute that? You know, to be honest, I wasn't that great of a competitor. Like I... (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Mark. You know, I mean... The grip? Yeah, I, I mean, I won races. I, uh-huh. but I wasn't one of those guys that was just frothing to go out and and just crush everybody. No, you were, you were, you had to. What I see is somebody who went from somebody who maybe initially was externally motivated, who had to learn how to become internally motivated to become your best, right? But that's still competitive. It's competitive with yourself. That's true. I was always trying to perfect myself and to bring more bring more into what I was doing through that thing called racing and that was a that was actually a way to measure um was I making those improvements or not both physically and mm-hmm. internally. Um but yeah, now I love what I do with my coaching. I love what I do with Brant uh going to his retreats, what we do together fit soul fit body. Um I love what I do out in the water there almost every day. I, like I said, I surf almost almost every day. Not every day, but most days. Uh, if there's storms or there's no surf, then I'll for sure run because running. I I really love running. You know, it's just a feels like that's what human beings were put on this planet to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was <laughs> my son had a great way of quantifying that. He said, "Look at just look at." all the other animals out there he goes we're about the slowest thing look at that squirrel there look how fast it went climbed up that tree we're not meant to climb we're not we're one of the slowest things on the planet but we're meant to run like we can basically outrun anything over over the long haul and um so i love running i do a lot of uh functional strength work now to kind of keep everything going right Mm -hmm. and uh you know i surf is good if not better than ever in my life which is kind of mind-boggling at 59 I mean, yeah i wasn't a hot shot teenage surfer like a lot of the guys here so my baseline was pretty dismal when i was younger but um you know, a couple of years ago i just i looked and i realized all these guys that i see out here every day i see the same guys all the time mm-hmm. none of them are getting any better there's one or two that might be getting better the rest of them are just like holding and like that's not the, what happened in triathlon. I got better every year that I was racing. So I started to just break it down and go, okay, now how can I improve? And so I just worked on the takeoffs and I worked on my bottom turns and I worked on off the top and I worked off on cutbacks and I worked on the, you know, getting tubed and all these different elements until each one sort of really started to click. And then all of a sudden they all started to go come together, link together in the same way. It's like, whoa, what was that? You know, and then yeah. a little more and a little more and a little more. And so anyway, that's I've transitioned from using swimming, cycling, running to be my physical practice to what I do out in the water. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a much more sort of soulful uh, physical experience, right? It's all about being simpatico with your environment and kind of you know channeling that internal voice and manifesting it externally. Yeah, and for me, it it, it feels like it really helps keep my whole being pliable, like no two waves are the same. You never stand up on exactly the same spot on the board. Nothing is ever the same. It's similar always, but it never are two things mm-hmm. ever the same. And so 
you can't get in a rut necessarily. So it's always keeping, feels like it keeps my brain younger, keeps my body more supple for sure. Right. Yeah. And do you go and hit the big waves up at Steamers Lane, like up the way up here? Do you go right down the street here? Where do you usually go? I just walk to the end of my street and paddle yeah. out. Yeah, it's my, <laughs> nice. it's my, uh, it's my way of reducing my carbon footprint. I just don't drive to surf. Right. So I can just paddle right out here and there's, you know, 10 or 15 places you can take off. So I like it. It's great. For people that are listening that are, are intrigued by the idea of doing one of these retreats with you and Brant, mm-hmm. what is it? What does that look like? Like, what is the curriculum? Yeah, we we co-teach it, so we go back and forth between uh, our different materials. So Brant obviously is the fit soul part. I'm the fit body mm-hmm. part. Majority of what I speak about is how you can exercise and eat and and do things in a way that will promote lifelong fitness and health. So it doesn't matter whether you're trying to lose weight or become an Ironman champion. The principles are the same. The amount of application is obviously going to be very Mm -hmm. different. And then Brant teaches a lot of the practices and principles of Weichel Indian shamanism, which help you to develop that ability to quiet your mind, to let go of negative emotions, to embrace positive qualities, to develop that your relationship with the world of nature as a way to empower yourself and just to feel good. And then he also uh, leads traditional ceremonies throughout the weekend, throughout the workshop. Right. So what? Yeah. So what are some of those practices that he teaches, like, in, in, to to achieve that that end? Like, is it meditation oriented? Is it is it you know uh, like fire ceremony? Like, what is it exactly? Yeah, there's exercises he teaches with with the fire with, that you can do with a candle. With uh, there's drumming and rattling. You know, drums and rattles have been used for thousands of years as a way to help people shift their consciousness or, or awareness. And you know, it's just like anything. Practice helps you to be able to go to that place more, much, much more easily. So, you know, he does drumming and rattling throughout the weekend, and and um, and then he'll like have you go do exercises at the ocean where we will be as a way to learn how to connect with that particular place in nature. It can be a mountain, it can be a lake, a river, but you know, we're right on Monterey Bay there, so mm-hmm. we use the ocean a lot. And as you're doing this, these practices, you kind of think, oh, well. I guess that was pretty good. I'm not sure, you know, and then you get home after the weekend and then you can sort of feel the shift that you went through over those three days because you, when you go back into your normal environment, it's like, oh, wow, I do feel that peace and a little, just more sense of happiness or joy or gratitude that I'm alive and that I, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I still have my problems, but they don't seem as bad as before, you know, just like that. That that uh, that kind of connectivity is, I think, more important than ever. You know, in a culture and a society in which we're just becoming more and more progressively divorced from the natural rhythms of mm-hmm. you know, what it means to be alive and what our ancestors experienced, and the level of kind of dissatisfaction that I think is pervasive in a lot of people's lives with respect to their careers and their relationships. Like we've just moved so far away from what it was like not that long ago. 
right? And to be able to embrace some aspect of that and bring it back into your life can have a profound impact, I think. You know, it wasn't that long ago that pretty much everybody did work outside. They were farmers or, you know, they were, everybody was very attuned with the seasons and um, the rhythms of nature and, and we're a reflection of that. It's, you know, it's the way, best one of the ways that Brandt describes it. And in the modern world, we can get very disconnected from it, but it can also be very easy to reconnect. All you have to do is just go out and go for a walk. Mm-hmm. And you're still, you're walking on the earth. Even if there's pavement and cement, the earth is underneath there, you know, and just being outside affects you positively as a human being. Like I said, we are hardwired to feel good when we are outside. And I know this so well myself, you know, I my my home is my office. I have my office just, you know, 15 feet from here. Right. And I get so absorbed with my computer and my world shrinks to, you know, this little screen that's this big. And finally, it's just like, okay, enough of this. And I'll just... I'll writing go, about what we're talking about, right? right? Well, yeah. you're, but you're not... <laughs> <laughs> but then I, you know, then I go and I walk two minutes down to the ocean and f- literally from the second I step out of the door, it just feels like, mm-hmm. <sighs> okay... You know, and then you come back and it's like you've had a whole reset. It doesn't take much time, but you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe go to sleep when it gets dark out. Yeah. How about Allow that? Allow your body to rest. I know there's a novel idea, right? Where, uh, I know sleep's a big deal for you. It is It is for me too. And I just can't, I mean, I need eight or nine hours. And I know you You sleep even more than that, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a nine or 10 hour a night uh-huh. kind of guy. Uh, that's, I think, also one of the reasons I did so well in the sport because I slept a lot. You know, I'd slept, sleep a lot at night. I'd take a lot of naps. And so my body was recovering when a lot of the other guys were up late doing, I don't know what they were doing, but they weren't sleeping and then they weren't recovering the same either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never, I was a, you know, I was, I was a swimmer and, and, you know, did the whole, you know, 5 a.m. morning workout for, you know, just basically mm-hmm. slept walk through all of my adolescence mm-hmm. you know, and teenage years. And it always mystifies me if you're a professional athlete and essentially your your whole life is oriented around getting the best performance out of yourself. The idea that you would like have to wake up super early in the morning to get these workouts. It's like, you know, you have all day, like you're, you're trained, like get sleep, you know, or take that nap or whatever. I mean, sleep is the ultimate performance enhancer. Well, it's interesting that, you know, that concept of getting up super early to, to work out and get all your workouts in it, that's such an American thing. Like a lot of the Europeans, when they would come over here to train with us, they're like, why are you leaving so early? You know, we, you <laughs> we have, have all day. You have all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, and they actually okay. did a study um, when they took top athletes and who were sleeping, you know, seven, eight hours a night and they got them to sleep nine or 10, the improvement in their performance was about the same as if they'd taken EPO, Mm. you know, so sleep is definitely a performance enhancing drug, but it's legal. Right. So, but we just, we have such a hard time embracing that, right? We feel like we're lazy, you know, that it's antithetical. It's, it is that American thing. Like if you're sleeping too much, you're not getting after it, right? Because you yeah. got to get up at 4.30 and, you know, I'll sleep when I die. But you're just <laughs> undermining your own performance. So Yeah, anyway. sleep is a potent performance enhancer. And it's good for your health. You know, that's the bottom line. You just don't, nothing's going to be in a balanced state in your body because 
lack of sleep causes stress hormones to be released, which then sets up all sorts of negative things in your body that you don't want to have happen. It lowers human growth hormone release, testosterone release. Uh, you don't sleep as well when you do sleep even. And, you know, it just becomes a negative spiral. So right. we got to wrap this up here, but I want to leave people uh, with a few like takeaways. You know, if somebody's listening to this and, and they're inspired by your message, uh, maybe they're hearing that call for the first time. It's time to finally get up out of the cubicle or off the couch and, and move their body, maybe sign up for a race or maybe have a, a keener look at their diet or dial in their sleep or what have you. You know, what are some of the first like steps that you encourage people to take who want to kind of bring a little bit of this lifestyle, whether it's shamanism, you know, the spiritual kind of emotional side of things or the physical side? You know, I, I encourage people to just make a commitment to doing both of those things because they're so intertwined. You know, if you are physically active, then you are more positive. You have a more positive outlook on life, which then gives you more motivation to take care of yourself physically. You know, it's a, it's a, they're, they're intertwined. So, you know, just make it your commitment every day to do some form of exercise. It doesn't have to be long or extravagant, or, you know, it might just be getting out and walking for 20 minutes. It might be going for a five hour bike ride. It depends on where you are on the grand scale of things, scheme of things, and what your goals are also. So make that commitment to just do some form of exercise every day. Second thing, make it a commitment to just be aware of that natural world around you. Even if it's going outside at sunset and just looking at the colors or, mm -hmm. you know, especially on the weekends, go for a hike in in the trees, on a trail, wherever it is, where you can immerse yourself for longer than five minutes in nature. And if you just do these simple things every day or a couple times throughout each day, you'll start to see that the time in between those is better. You feel better. You're, you're more alert. You're more aware. You have a more positive outlook. But then you'll also start to crave that physical activity and that time outside in nature which will then reinforce everything. It's like a positive cycle. It's a self-perpetuating thing. Yeah. yeah, momentum takes on its own spiritual energy of its own, I think. Yeah. And uh, that's solid advice. But it's not, it's not like rocket science. You know, it's like, just move your body, you know? Connect with yourself a little bit. Allow yourself to feel yourself and go on that journey. And if you have a hard time on your own, set up a community of people that will do it with you. A friend, a family member. You know, I was, in a lot of ways, I could I could come up with a million reasons why I didn't need to go do those workouts if it was just me going. But when I knew that I was going to be meeting one or two buddies at a stop sign somewhere and they were going to be a little upset if I didn't show up, I showed up. And then it was great. You know, we all enjoyed it. It was great. So having that community of supportive, like-minded people who are striving to have those same experiences and do make the same positive changes in their lives... If you do it together, it just magnifies it. And for people that are listening who uh, who are interested in in maybe taking their 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 racing game to the next level, are you are you taking on athletes for coaching? How does that work? It's all like it's a virtual relationship through your website portal. Yeah, it's markallencoaching.com. Uh, people create training plans based on their current fitness, their goal races, 
uh, the days of the week that they like to do key workouts. If they need days off, they get those also. Mm -hmm. They have unlimited email support. So just go to markallencoaching.com, make an account. Unlimited emails? Unlimited emails. And you answer all of them. I do, yeah. (laughs) Do you really? How many emails do you get from people asking you what they should eat for breakfast? They, I get a lot of e- <laughs> I, I get a lot of emails yeah. when they start out, and I get a lot uh-huh. of emails right before their races. In between, right. pretty much, people are they're they're in the rhythm and they're doing good. And then again, if you want to experience that that blend of sport and spirit, uh, you can go to fitsoulfitbody.com and see all of our upcoming workshops. We have one. Again, here in, in Santa Cruz, February 17th through 19th. Another one in April at the Kripalu Institute in Massachusetts. Oh, cool. Uh, that's, a, that's a great in, a venue for our event. We've yeah. done that six or seven years now uh-huh. over there. And how, how big is the group of people that attend these? It, it depends, between 30 and 50. Mm-hmm. But you get a real taste of all of the aspects of what we've been talking about today. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. It's it's been great talking to you. I really uh, I really appreciate your time, and and I just have so much respect not just for your athletic achievements and your experience and what you give back to sport, but for <clears throat> your spiritual perspective on all of this and how multi sport physical activity can be this vehicle for uh, self-actualization and self-understanding. And I think that's something that is under-addressed and, and perhaps missed or just not talked about enough. And for me, that has been everything. You know, that's, that's what multi-sport has done for my life. And that's the message that I try to put out to the world. And you are like the ultimate embodiment of that. Hmm. And I just appreciate that that is the message that, um, that uh, you know, that is sort of in the forefront of of everything that you do, and uh, it, it's really cool to spend a little time with you. So thanks, Mark. Yeah, thanks for coming. Great to All talk right, with you. So markallencoaching.com is the website. I assume you have a Facebook page. Is there any other place for people to connect with you? Yeah, markallencoaching.com, fitsoulfitbody.com, uh, at coaching Mark for Facebook, Mark Allen Grip on Twitter. Yeah. The grip. Uh, yeah. Mark Allen. I think Mark Allen grip also on Instagram. Uh-huh. You'll see me. You'll find me. And, uh, and the books are fit soul, fit body. And you have this beautiful book, the art of competition that is sort of quotes and photography. And yeah, those inspiration. are, those are 90 quotes that I paired with photos from nature. Uh, each one is, gives a broader perspective on competition and overcoming challenge and achieving personal excellence. And then there are, are six other chapters talking about dealing with fear and what do you do when you get stuck. And then the final chapter is called Art, and it highlights my bookend Ironman victories, from my first in 1989 and my final one in 1995. And those were those were really the the two of the biggest moments in, in sport for me, where most most of the lessons, a lot of the lessons were learned. Yeah, cool. All right, man. Good talking to you. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, Mark. Peace. What'd you guys think about that? It's pretty intense, right? I love it. Super into that guy and so appreciative of him sharing his message with myself and all of you guys today. Uh, if you're digging on the grip, a few things I want to relate to you before you tune out today. First is 
his upcoming Fit Soul Fit Body Retreat. It's in Santa Cruz and it's, uh, it's right on the horizon. It's February 17th through 19th, basically next weekend. In fact, if you're listening to this shortly after I publish it, uh, and it sounds like an incredible experience. It's also super affordable. It's priced at $299. So if you're in the California region and this perks your interest, you can visit markallencoaching.com for information and how to sign up and all that kind of good stuff. Also, please check out Mark's books, Fit Soul, Fit Body, and The Art of Competition. Uh, if you want to learn more about Mark, make a point of checking out the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com. I've got all kinds of links and resources to take your infotainment, your education about Mark and his life uh, beyond the earbuds. We also just launched a brand new resources page at richroll.com, basically a clearinghouse where I can sort of share my favorite books, my favorite products, my favorite websites, my favorite movies. And it's in its infancy right now. I'm continuing to build it out. And this will definitely be sort of an organic dynamic page where I'll be switching things up and all that kind of good stuff. But I'm super excited about this because I get a lot of questions. What are you reading? What should I read? Blah, blah, blah. Now we just can have it in one place. So if you go to ritual.com, you just click on resources. There's a, there's a menu tab at the top there. You can find that there. We also added an FAQ section to answer a lot of the most frequently asked questions that I get. Uh, again, Julie and I are going to be in Australia, Sydney on March 16th and Melbourne on March 17th. Go to ritual.com and click on appearances for more on that or livingtheplantpowerway.com. I'm also speaking in Pasadena on March 26 as part of uh, the Engine 2 uh, events. And you can find out information again about that at ritual.com forward slash appearances. Uh, thank you for sharing the show with your friends on social media, spreading the word one person at a time. That's how we build this audience. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. And if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to, first of all, subscribe on iTunes or whatever service you use to enjoy your podcast content. You can also make a habit out of using the Amazon banner ad that you can find on any episode page on my site or by just typing in richroll.com forward slash Amazon. You can bookmark that on your browser so you don't have to remember it. And every time you want to buy something on Amazon, if you click that first, it doesn't cost you anything extra, but Amazon uh, tips us with a little commission change, and that really does support what we're doing. And for people that want to go the extra mile, we have a Patreon up, and you can click through that from any episode page uh, on my website. If you would like to receive a free short weekly email from me, I send one out every week, every Thursday. It's called Roll Call. Basically, it's five or six things that I came across over the course of the week. You know, Usually, it's, I don't know, a couple articles. Uh, a book I'm reading, a documentary I saw, a video I watched, a new product that I'm enjoying, just helpful stuff. Never going to spam you. There's no affiliate links in here. I'm not trying to make any money off of this. I just thought it would be a cool, fun way to kind of connect with you guys outside of the podcast and outside of social media and just kind of cultivate community. So if you're interested in receiving that, you can sign up basically anywhere on my website. Uh, and when you're while you're on the website, while you're at it, uh, I got cool stuff there. Signed copies of Finding Ultra and The Plant Power Way. If you haven't read either of our two books, maybe pick those up. We have T-shirts. We got tech tees. We got sticker packs and all kinds of fun junk like that. Uh, I want to thank everybody who worked hard, who toiled to put on this show this week. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering and production work. 
Sean Patterson for all his help on graphics. We're doing some cool stuff for Instagram right now that's going to be coming out soon that Sean's been working on. If you're not following me on Instagram, you can do that at Rich Roll. Uh, also, Chris Swan for additional production assistance. And Chris works really hard on the show notes and really kind of helping create the scaffolding, the architecture, the structure for each week's program and theme music by Analemma. So thanks for the love, you guys. Have a great week. I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. Yeah.